Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com. And Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In this section, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. It's official. We will be doing a live audience Live Sense8 recording special in San Francisco on January 25th at 7 o'clock. We now have confirmed to join us as guests Michael Summers, who plays Bug, Maximilian Ewalt, who plays Grace, and Sandra Fish, who plays Janet. And we have both the purple and the green fairy coming to join us as well. Tino Rodriguez and Virgo Pariso. We're going to have live audience questions for that podcast. It's going to be quite exciting. We have a limited number of seats and the tickets will be available soon. So start marking your calendar and making plans to join us in San Francisco on January 25th. The next day on January 26th, we will be doing a fractal illumination gathering. Fractal illumination is energy activation to help you live in the energies of Earth as it is now. And you can learn more about that at fractalillumination.com. We are super excited about our trip to San Francisco, and we hope that you will join us. Today, we're going to be covering Season 2, Episode 4, Polyphony, directed by James Mateague, created and written by Lily Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. Kala and Caffius are caught in the middle of an angry protest. Leto looks into his journalist's disappearance and covers new info on Angelica's cluster. We have a guest host. So, Whoa. right, we're going to dive in together, all three of us, get a little new thought pattern going on in this. So, today we have with us Heather Fletcher. You know her as Sensate Heaven, as a host on Nurks of the Hub podcast, Heaven interviewed both Maximilian Ewalt, who plays Grace, Amanita's mom, 
and Paula Gola, who plays Jella. Heaven spends much of her free time in alt-universe or time-travel television programming. Her TV obsessions lie predominantly with Sense8, so much so that she sells Sense8 merch on Etsy. However, fantastical shows like Doctor Who, Outlander, Black Mirror, and Timeless aren't far behind in her viewing pleasure. When she isn't getting lost on the screen or researching the next NERC guest, she might be getting lost in the D&D world or out at music festivals because we can't spend all our time indoors, can we? (laughs) Welcome, Heaven. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me on with you today. It's pretty exciting. It is. We've always talked about having a guest host, and then we have you, and that's a perfect, perfect host. (laughs) Yeah, we met and in we, Chicago, and that was fun. I feel like that's a big bonus. Yeah, it right. Was, we, shared, we shared some pizza together. Shared some pizza we and did. a drink with some yeah. other senses and chatted about uh, Amor Vincent Omnia. It was pretty awesome. It was. That was a great event. It was, and so fun to be able to meet people in person. Yeah. That was my first time getting to meet senses in real life. And I was just on a high about it for so long afterwards. It's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, such a fantastical thing, you know, (laughs) the connection. So I have been super curious about your pins. I mean, they are awesome and they are amazing. They blow my mind of how you pick what you're going to do and the whole process of how they become pins. Can you fill us in a little bit on that? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I I believe I started with just the simple, uh, I am also a we eight, uh-huh. figure eight infinity. And that one sort of blew up and I've done a few different versions of that. So normally I will just draw something out. I'll find something I like. My husband is a product designer, graphic designer. Nice. So anything that I don't know how to do on the computer, he'll help me out and do the finalizing of the design work on the computer for me send that vector over to the production company. Then they send me back a hundred pins. And actually the episode we're talking about today is the inspiration for one of the pins. I'd love to tell you the story. Actually, I first started making my son pin cause I want to do one for everybody. And I was just in love with the image of sun and her sparkle panties in the last <laughs> episode <laughs> of season two. And then my husband liked the outline that, I had brought up an idea with so much and said, wouldn't it be cute if we put a little baby bird in that outline? Nice. Hence one of the lines from this season, this episode, excuse me, that we'll be talking about today. And we liked both of them so much. We couldn't decide between the two. And that's how son ended up getting two pins in production at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Go son. (laughs) Yeah, She is a rock star. And we'll put images and links on the blog post for this episode so all you listeners can know exactly what we're talking about and get your own pins. And you have a new pin coming out. That's right. I like to give away some pins every time I get a new design. So as a gift for all our listeners for taking the time to listen to us today, I'm going to put up a, a BOGO offer for at least the first 10 people that order the new pin. Spoiler alert, 
It's going to be a Nomi Amanita combo pin. Nice. Very exciting. (laughs) And it's one of my favorites so far. I'm super excited to show it to you. So by the time this episode airs, I will be showing you the design. And if you go to my Etsy store and enter the code POLY, I felt like polyphony might be kind of a long word to make people remember how to spell. <laughs> don't want to make people look it up. <laughs> so we're just going to shorten it to poly, and that will be your quick and easy BOGO password to get a free pin for the first 10 people. And um, I may extend it even further than the first 10 people. We'll see how it goes. That's Great, exciting. Very yeah. And that's P-O-L-Y, right? That's right. Thank you, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> For for a second, I was thinking of Paula Gula, so you know, I, I had to get, <laughs> like, wait, how do you get in here? <laughs> you know, he was the first person to accept a gift of pins nice. from me, and he got the first, the original uh, two designs. I sent him a bunch, and he was so sweet. He did a little Instagram reveal of it. And he was the first cast member to wear my pins, and it just made me so proud. And it was a a great day for me, really, when that happened. Very cool. And I know you, Maximilian, got some in Chicago because she was um, showing us all after you had given them to her. So very exciting. I I feel like I was a little embarrassing in Chicago. I didn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. I didn't think I would ever be so starstruck. I couldn't think and I couldn't talk and I just sort of like shoved these little gifts in people's hands <laughs> and I didn't even tell them that I made them <laughs> or anything. <laughs> I think we told Maximilian. <laughs> and like I handed one to Karen and she's like, is this for me or for Lana? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> And I just started crying and felt silly. I just sort of threw the bag at her and then ran away. (laughs) It was a pretty intense event with everybody there and the high energy. And you're meeting, you know, fellow sensies at the same time as you're meeting Lana and the stars. And it it was a lot. Very much so. Very high energy, very exciting. Uh, smile didn't peel off my face <laughs> all night. <laughs> yeah, when you when when you got to hug Lana there at the very beginning as they were walking in and you started crying, I was like, I started almost crying because you were crying. Like that's you how. Saw that? Yeah, of course oh. I did. I was right there, and I was like, Oh my god, this is incredible! Like I did. My face is getting red right now just talking about it. Good thing it's a podcast. Yeah. Such a little fangirl over here. Can't help myself. <laughs> At least time. I was surrounded by people who can understand. Right. That is important. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> that was fun. And we were all there, you yeah. know. I barely said anything. Lana and I talked about our signs, our zodiac signs. Like, that's what we talked about. <laughs> Oh, wow. I got to see her homo sensorium tattoo. Yes, that was cool. Too. She showed yeah. us. I did get to show her my Sensate tattoo. Oh. Later on, we like crossed paths and I was like, wait, can I show you this? <laughs> Lift up your shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Ay, ay, ay. I got tears in my eyes right now just talking about it. <laughs> All the beautiful things happening yeah. with Sensei. So 
It's interesting, too, because you're the guest host where we're going to dive into the episode together. And it's polypamy. That actually means the style of simultaneously combining a number of parts, each forming an individual melody and harmonizing with each other. The number of notes or voices that can be played simultaneously without loss. So isn't that cool that it ended up Super in this one? Cool. <laughs> you know? We planned it that way. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think in the episode, and we'll get to that later, but I think I was trying to think about, you know, we always like to look at the title because they always give us Easter eggs in the title. I'm thinking it's about when we get to the crowd scenes and everybody's voices coming together to have more impact. That was what I was thinking. But perhaps it was just about us three coming together for the podcast. That's probably what it was. You're like, looking into the future. These people are going to... I know Zach and Sheila and Heaven. They're going to want to do a podcast about this episode. That's a lot of... Uh, that's three a lot of forethought. years from now. <laughs> you know, I really love, too, how they have not even one of the main characters say that word. It's yeah. like a side person and they mention the word just ever so briefly and then roll into the events Sheila was just talking about with all of the yeah yeah it was the author right the authors in the bookstore uh-huh. yeah and there's other we there's other easter eggs in there because we always pay attention to the background too and especially when they give the title right so like you said you notice that and and you have to look for it but we picked up on what books. So in that scene where they mentioned the title, Amanita is talking to Nomi on the phone and she's standing next to a bookshelf. And so we're like, oh, we have to hone in. I thought, you know what it would be really cool is like a, a book study for the background books that they present to us. <laughs> I'm not taking that up right now, but I think it's a really cool idea. Well, that's not a bad idea, especially since a book is how Nomi and Amanita came together. Yes. And they, they, they strategically, we've been watching the books that they show us between the two of them, especially. And so, yeah, so the books that she's standing next to are 13 Senses and Death of a Newspaper Man. So we all have to get those books and we have to read them and we have to find out what they're telling us because you know there are more messages in those books. This is like a tunnel. We could just go down forever to get all the, the inscribed right, they left messages. Us a lot of breadcrumbs. They did for yes. us to find consciousness. Well, maybe that's the next step in the evolution. When you've gone through all of the episodes, you can have book club episodes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> that could be what we do after this. That's a good point. <laughs> I like a good book. And, you know, from my understanding, Lana and Karen and Lily are huge readers. And so they know what books we should be reading. You know, like, I think... <laughs> I didn't see my book in there, but other than that, I think they know. Maybe that's the next step in their evolution is to read your book. <laughs> there you we go. <laughs> it's, it's a mutual, mutual well, polypony going on or whatever. It makes sense what you're saying because we love so much of what they put out and what they've given us and not just the shows and movies they've given us, but them as people and right. how they interact with the world and how they interact with their fans and how they are as humans. And if we love so much all of those things about them, 
why wouldn't we perhaps enjoy a book that they also enjoy? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the art, like, you know, all these things that they offer us to just grow our, our consciousness and our, yeah, energy. like Tino and Virgo's artwork. I'm yeah. so glad you had them on. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. So incredible. They're, they're incredible. Yeah. I chatted with them more than anybody else in Chicago. They're they just do. such dears. Oh, I can awesome. understand. We barely chatted with them there, yeah. but I, now we have. <laughs> so it's all, it all worked out. That's awesome. So let's see, what else do we got going on in this episode? Was there anything, Heaven, that you that jumped out to you in this? I feel like the things that you brought up are good. I love that we get to uh, see Puck for the first time. Yes, that's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene when everything is happening and it's not just... Caffius and it's not just Kala and then it's not just Amanita running away on her motorcycle. Everybody's feeling all of the things mm-hmm. and the true polyphony of it all. Right. <laughs> reveals itself to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's and a great the music, episode. They really are so, so good at choosing music. Yes. Shout out I to Ethan and all his friends. <laughs> Sorry, what? I just said shout out to Ethan and all his friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really fell in love with one of the songs in this one. What one what were you, were you picking up anything specific with the music? Well, I I have loved Bastille for quite uh-huh. some time now. So, and I, I and sometimes even we even went to dinner last night and I couldn't hear the music the whole night cuz it was so loud in there. But the one song I heard was a Bastille song. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Their music is just amazing. And it is so. So in this episode, they, for everyone who's coming along with us, they play um, World Gone Mad. And it is so profound during that scene. And, the, and we always hear some of the words, but so this is where we are. It's not where we had wanted to be and half the world's gone mad the other half just don't care you see to me that scene and that music you just start like your heart starts throbbing and you start like I don't know tearing up when they start when they do that when they play the music in between all the words and conversations and you slow down and you're like yes notice you know it was a good time to pick that song because we're kind of really looking at how we can dehumanize humanity, right? And that's what it's right. about is like, how has the world gone mad right? With, with all the chaos that's around us and lack of justice, so to speak, <laughs> and harmony. Right. For anything as simple as water, like Kefia says, mm-hmm. water is life. You can't deny humans one of the most basic things to live right yeah. right maslow would be freaking out right now <laughs> the hierarchy of needs is just <laughs> at the top of the list to have water yeah because that music goes into the scene at the temple and um at the protest for the water and the like you were talking about the polyphony of it all as they weave together it's just a very profound scene. And I think it's interesting to know, you know, having you from the United States, too, and to watch the timeline of what we've been going through politically 
and to see it woven into the storyline in a way that does not necessarily provoke uh, argument or anger and sides that we have going on in here a lot right now. But it shows it, and it, it, it just steps it outside of us just enough to settle in and watch it and let the message penetrate. And I think that's really profound because we've got the current events weaving through the time that that was created with Flint, Michigan, and Standing Rock, and the whole issue of water, even in the United States, you know, I say that with, you know, complete egocentrism. But, you know, we're kind of raised to believe that we're a country that has its shit together. (laughs) I know we don't really necessarily believe that. But you know, that's sort of been the presentation throughout our lives. And then to, you know, in, in water is an issue in other countries, we don't have to worry about it, but to have it here, um, and to know how impactful it is, and then to see it, like, we can relate to it. And yet there are countries where it's an even bigger issue. And then we have the whole politics and religion that weaves through that scene as well. Because, Kala's in the temple, and now there's security there, and now there's a fight between the the different sides. They even mention a bill that was passed that's anti-idolatry, which basically means that you can't have multiple gods. To think about the core of water and freedom of religion just being questioned. I like how you presented it in the manner that they presented it to us as though there's no argument. It's not, there's not, there's not a his side and her side. It's a, this is happening. And these are the facts, right? This is is happening in the world. You can discuss it all you want, but there's no saying it's not happening. Right. It just is. It just is. It just is. And we get to witness that. Even, they chant uh, one truth, our truth. Right. And I was thinking about oh. that because it's one side is chanting that, right? And the side that feels oppressed. The side that feels oppressed is chanting that. And yeah, right. That's one an impressive. Tr- like, oh. like, that's oppression in itself. If in there's and of only itself. one, right? Yeah. We're being Absolutely. oppressed, but we want to oppress you with our belief systems. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's. Yeah. And it just gives me, I mean, like, Actually, you just, and I was going to go right to that line too, but hearing you say that out loud again, my stomach just clenched up. I mean, it's so nauseating and frightening to think of the mentality of that that's in our world. It seems so obsolete to me, and yet it's not. Right. (laughs) It's 2018. How are we still doing this? Right. But then you've got, then it flashes, and I think it does go from that. Like, you get all like, ugh. And then the guy with the water looks into Caffius's eyes, and he's just like, oh, yeah. And he passes out the water, you know? And then you have that whole obscenity of humanity, and then the beauty of humanity and the truth of it happen in the next scene. And you're like, oh, yes, there's hope. Like, yes, this sucks, but there's hope, you know? We're human, we're real. And it's just so profound to me. I just throw that just juxtaposition. Ju- I don't think I'm saying that correctly either. Just Juxtapose? Position? <laughs> they throw that right in our face. 
And I love it. It's a it's a beautiful contrast. It is of, of humanity. Yeah, one of the biggest messages to me in Sense Eight is, and I love this, is everything's kind of gray matter. It's not really black and white. It's just a spectrum, and um, of experience. And like we said, we're just talking about the isness of how we conduct our business. Is <laughs> just you know we can we can like it or we can change it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So there's, we went right to the core of this episode for sure. And that is the, you know, the sort of life changing part, but that's not all that's in there. We got some other cool stuff going on in this episode. So let's kind of go through some of that. Actually, we start out in the museum. So we're, we kind of carry on from the episode before when we realize Whispers is not dead <laughs> again. We're not taken out of play. Or He's whatever. not taken out of play. And Riley and Will, especially Will, has to get out of that museum. And I love that Leto, you know, because we see him building up in in his offering of gifts, you know, but his just um, drama, you know, like, because, you know, that's the thing. We all have our gifts. And sometimes we have that friend that we think is so dramatic. And and I say that, but, you know, that was the label I had when I was a kid. So maybe that friend is me, but. So you can relate very much here, huh? Well, right, because, like, I mean, I don't think I'm dramatic so much anymore. I'm passionate, right? But as a kid, that dramatic was something that was not said in love, right? Like, it was kind of not a compliment right. when pe- when my family said that to me because it was an invalidation of my passion and my emotions. So I struggled with that for a long time, and I love that we take Leto and his dramaticness his drama because he is he's passionate and he is dramatic in all of his life right but we get to use that as his superpower too and i just think that's really important you know there's not no part of us that can't be used including our passion hey even netflix agrees that he gave us the best gif ever (laughs) oh do they i didn't realize that (laughs) it was a they posted something you know a little while back that was something like best gift thank you sensei for giving us the best Best gift (laughs) (laughs) right he is he is the ultimate gift (laughs) you know it's so interesting how words the same word can be used to to vilify and to lift up Mm mm-hmm like you were saying with people saying that you're dramatic, I always got told I was sensitive mm-hmm. and I didn't learn until much later on in life that being sensitive doesn't have to be a negative connotation. Right. Right. And <laughs> the- <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Same thing with drama. Exactly. Our Lido, we love our Lido and his drama. Right. And it's interesting because I think back to when we first started, you know, diving into the episodes and I think Zachy, we were like, so, you know, what is Lido bringing to it? Right. Because we overlook the superpower of that. Just, um, but think about what actors bring in. To, I mean, we've seen it come out more and more, but. He, I think, you know, what he can, he's kind of used for comic relief. Mm-hmm. We see that a lot. And he's, he um, is there for a message. But I think when they, he's, his character's very potent. So when we get a reaction out of Leto when he's helping the team, it it is very dramatic, as in it's it's very potent and mm-hmm. it gets the like whatever they need in those it. those those crunch times. Like he's just there to act, right? Which <laughs> so, is awesome. And then right. if you think about the layers of it, right? Because 
it's through acting that we're bringing this message to the world. You know, it's an honoring or a shout out to all the actors too, and the industry itself. Right. And when I think about Lido, I can't not think about Hernando and Danny because they compliment him so much. So I kind of, as, as far as a, a wholeness of a character, everything they show and all the lines that they get, they kind of support that complex of the the threesome that they have going on in their relationship. So Lido yeah. brings that to the table too, not just Lido's um, great acting skills. Yeah. Absolutely. I hate to ever choose favorites of anything really, but the scene where Lido saves Danny is one of my favorites in all of Sense8. Mm-hmm. It just makes my heart so happy and also <laughs> makes me want to cry at the same time. <laughs> because people are human and they make mistakes, and this individual realized the error of his ways and right. did something to change it in with such huge impact. Right. Yeah. So he definitely goes beyond just drama. He has this heart that we get to see growing in front of us. Thanks to Hernando. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hernando. Right, without that contrast, without that resistance there, that mirror, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, again, I love Hernando. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, then after that, we move into uh, Wolfgang shows up. He missed that scene. <laughs> he comes to apologize, right? And yeah, we have, we have a clip for that. So let's listen to that, and then we'll chat about it. Wolfgang. Sorry I wasn't there. You all right? Yeah. I met someone who I think can help us. Her name's Leela, and she's like us. There are more clusters. I knew it. The way he was talking about her, she felt like she'd been around for a while, which means... Her cluster has been able to stay free from BPO. Unless they're working for them. Like whispers. Wolfgang, you need to be careful. I'll be fine, but give me what you can find on Lila Fakini. Lila Fakini, got it. I know you got some kind of really complicated problem here. And while some people might get a bit freaked out with you, dark and empty space all the time, you know, I'm totally cool with shit like that. And I just, you know you can trust me. Right. Don't look at me. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Excellent. There's a lot going on there in that scene. <laughs> there, yeah, there, I'm kind of glad you got the whole thing because I want to jump right into Bug, but I feel like we should start from the beginning. Yeah, let's start with... So Wolfgang's cool. I like this part about Wolfgang because he actually apologizes to the cluster. He's like, hey, I couldn't make it. I'm sorry. I got, you know... Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah. He's he's, he's growing. Not, yeah, he's <laughs> usually, you know, I don't think that... I think that was out of character for him from when we first met Wolfgang. Oh, that's a I good could point be wrong. to make. Yeah, no, I think you're right, because really, up until this point, his only loyalty, we see the loyalty in the past to his mom, but his only loyalty has been to Felix. You know, he has to be responsible. He's responsible to Felix. But this is the first time you see he's he's 
shifting loyalty and he realizes he's counted on in this group and that he has a role to play. Yeah, it was really quick, but I thought it was pretty significant. The thank you for sure. Absolutely. I agree with that. I think, I think that's, you're right. It's, it's been, Felix has been his whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. his, I mean, a little before his mom, but after losing his mom, he, it's just been Felix and he's just now learning how to open his heart up to other people that he can, there is a chance he can trust other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty big. And when he says he meets Leela, Kala, she, she throws some heat his way, a little shade. Shade. You know, and she's getting married and she's feeling jealous over here. Like, what's the deal, yo? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's, um, I, I kind of, I enjoy that we get a little taste just every now and then of Kala exploring the idea of being able to love more than one person Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we really do. And how does that fit together in life? And yeah. And what does that mean? They are tiny glimpses, but they're there. It's so uncommon in our world. We just don't have, we don't have a lot of examples of that to uh, look up to, you know. We're used to couples, generally speaking, super, super generally speaking. Yep. And... It's gone. I mean, there's couples counseling and marriage counseling and many things in our world that center around two. So when you've got three, there's like there's nowhere to go to look for someone to look up to. There's no advice to get from somebody. There's no book to read. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there are plenty of books to read, but, you know, for Kala at this point in time, this is a huge difference from how she's grown up. Yeah, and I think the reality is that there are a lot more situations like that in the world. It's just that we don't want to talk about them. So it's a facade that it's all couples when really people are constantly trying to navigate what it is like to be intimate with because it's natural to feel intimacy and connection with more than one person and so I don't want to jump too far because we have a lot to say about this this clip but later on she does say something to Wolfgang like because they're awkward together and she said why does it have to be like this now when you're the one that I can talk to most and now I can't and he said because you deserve to be happy but The thing in there is if they didn't feel or interpret their connection from a sexual manner, that wouldn't have been an issue. It's because of their restricted understanding of what relationship should be and that that connection should be pick one man kind of. I mean, this is all unspoken, but it's in there that she can no longer just allow that relationship to be what it is. I mean, they had not even physically seen each other yet. So there's no reason why you can't talk to the man in your head, you know, (laughs) 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 because there was sexual tension and you're getting married. Like that's insanity of our, of our concepts about relationship right there, you know? And, and even that jealousy, like how do I get jealous over him, you know, but he's physically now met someone that can do that, you know? So our desire for intimacy is so intimacy, like at this level, intimacy, someone that knows us at the core of our being is so heightened, so convoluted when we mix it into human relationships. 
Yeah, I think part of that has to do with, you know, like you said, everything's based around couples, but since it portrays humanality as a spectrum, and I keep, you know, harping on that, but like sexuality is a spectrum. Gender is a spectrum. <laughs> Consciousness is a spectrum. <laughs> the voices in our head are a, everything is a spectrum. So I think that you, you have people that are, you know, born in, in their straight. And you have people who are wired when they're born to be homosexual. I'm not saying that that can't be a choice or learned behavior or whatever. Either way is kind of a learned behavior in a way. But like our natural state of being, I think there's some people that do have the capacity to have intimacy with multiple people. Um, and there's just not a lot of that spectrum being like you said, talked about. There's no examples, but it, it's part of the human spectrum. And we just don't have anything, we don't have any good reference material. <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like I've been fortunate in my world to have met people who have lived this way. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize that it's not necessarily common for people to meet folks like this in their life. They don't know how it works, how it's even possible. And I find it a little funny because you can't help who you love any more than you can help what food you like. Mm -hmm. Your taste buds are your taste buds and right. your heart is your heart. They feel what they feel, whether you want them to or not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I didn't like ice cream so much, but I do. <laughs> it just doesn't go away. <laughs> I just keep buying it and eating it. <laughs> I realize that's maybe not the perfect analogy, but I think you understand where I'm coming yeah, from. I know, it, I agree, it's yeah. true. I mean, um, it's, you know, it's a good metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so what else did you see in this clip? I love, 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 love. I mean, you can't not love Bug. I'm right. sure there's an exception to that rule somewhere, but Bug <laughs> is just love in and of itself, him and the actor who plays him. And when he builds up the nerve to finally just ask Nomi like all right look like I see how there's obviously <laughs> there's something I don't know like could you please just bring your friend in on this game <laughs> and then Nomi's like looking for confirmation and Wolfgang's like don't ask me <laughs> not my call uh, yeah. and then she looks at Amanita and Amanita like you you can almost tell what she's saying without saying it to her. And then it's kind of, you know, the question has been answered. And then we get to move on to the scene where Bug reacts. From hearing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. And, and when we were reviewing this episode, it's like, well, we've talked about that scene so much when Michael Summers, who plays Bug, has been on with us. That, but it's like, but you can't not talk about that scene. Like, it's so huge and... He's so amazing, and I love what you know. You said it's it's just this unconditional acceptance. It's like he's saying, you know, I'm okay with that shit. Like you can tell me or not, but I'm not going to judge you. And maybe it would be helpful if you included me. And you've got that level, but then that core level of bug just wanting to be accepted. You know, like just this ultimate great guy who people don't understand, and kind of play off and he just he wants to be in part of the the circle the inners yeah and then he is reach out and hug bug <laughs> come here big guy hug a bug of course you can be part of the show <laughs> <laughs> 
get in here, you. Aww. <laughs> and then, like and you said, that leads to them talking to him about it in his epic reaction. I wish I could remember more of the lines from that part where he's just like, he kind of just expresses how awesome she is first. Like, first you do this, and then this is changed, and then this, and then you're like this, and then you got this awesome person here, and then, whoa! <laughs> and then he finishes it off by falling down the stairs. Right. <laughs> His reality, like, he just, he just took, like... He was Neo there for a second, and his reality changed, and he's like, oh, you know, he's got to rethink everything. <laughs> he fell down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> well, he fell down anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Stairway, rabbit hole, it's all the same. Well, they're on a boat, too, right? So he went into the hull. It's, it's practically <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot they were on a boat at this point in time. I think they are, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's pop on over to Sun. Yes. She's, you know, a little jailbird. Broken free. <laughs> yeah, free at last, free at last. Not quite jailbird. free at last. Yeah, Part so of a baby bird. <laughs> yes, and this is the scene that the pin is created from. Yep, so let's take a listen. Let's, let's have a listen. I have met strong women before, but none of them were like you. Sujin said, you have a heart as soft as a baby bird. It was what made me like you, the moment we met. Part of me wants you to find your brother and make him pay for what he has done. I know. Part of me would enjoy your revenge. Whatever you do, child, do not let it be at the cost of your beautiful heart. Very beautiful. Yes, we have that juxtaposition again of the kick-ass fighter and the heart of a baby bird, you know, that we have both inside of us. It's awesome. I like this clip because, so there's kind of a theme that they've been nursing a little bit, nurturing, and that's revenge. It shows up a lot, and she talks about that in here, and and she's kind of, I don't know if this is going to wrap that up, per se, for the show, but just that the thought and the concept is, you know, don't lose yourself in your revenge. Don't lose what's beautiful about you at the mm-hmm. cost of revenge. Yeah. Caffius in this episode, he's talking, uh, and we'll get to his clip here in a few moments, but he is talking to a reporter, and he even has a little line that they slip in there, you know, like, we all basically feel injustice, at some point, right? Mm-hmm. And when we, ha- we feel injustice, what do we want? Revenge, in a way, right? We want that justice, which comes in a form of revenge sometimes. Um, but we can't really fill that void. So anyway, I think those two concepts kind of play along with each other. And um, they put those in this episode, and I think it's great. Yeah, I like it's not judgmental, right? It's like, she's just like, you know what I mean? I'd kind of be happy if you killed him. That would make me feel good. <laughs> and so it's no judgment. Like, he deserves to die. Go kill him. <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> we know you have the power to do that, and I wouldn't judge you if you did that. 
But think about the bigger picture. It's not trying to control what she does. It's just saying you get to choose, right? That might feel good in the moment to get revenge. And it's okay if you want to do it. But if you do it, don't give him more of yourself. Don't let that ruin who you are at your core. You can have these abilities and you can be strong, but don't lose who you are at your core. Yeah, we also have this coming from a, a supporting female character for Sun who could possibly represent her mom in kind of a way, you mm-hmm. know, so because, I mean, she's this wise old lady. She's seen some shit and she's like, you know, I know a strong woman. You're this. But you also have a beautiful, soft heart, and you need to keep that. So that's like really words of encouragement instead of words of make me proud. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a big difference there, too, in this transition where Sun's getting support from a fellow inmate. Who didn't really. I mean, she committed murder, but she didn't really lose herself in it. You know? She just is a happy, nice person still. Yeah. So if you're going to commit murder, just... Be cool and happy after you're done, right? Don't lose yourself. I feel like there's a word for that. (laughs) And I think it's sociopath. (laughs) That's so different. (laughs) It's all in the stories we tell, right? I am extrapolating very much what Zach said. (laughs) I really do think that they that this scene was kind of a um, like a lovely presentation of the age-old discussion of an eye for an eye mm-hmm. and does it make the world blind kind of a thing. Right. But they don't talk about that specifically. It's you have choices and, right. you know, choices affect you. So, you know, you can do what one side of you wants to do or do what the other side of you wants to do. And we have a few episodes until we find out which one she chooses. and it's you're right I love that because it is you know we have these beliefs that have been passed down for generations or rules like right like an eye for an eye to you know or turn the other cheek or whatever and you're supposed to in a way fit into one of the the categories or judgment from outside and, and figure out what's right to do outside of yourself. But what they do is they bring it back into yourself. And it's not like, do this, like here, your options are here. They're both out there. You know, this is what I hope for you. But it's up to you, you know. And the other thing is that it's because she is the fighter. I mean, Wolfgang is too, but that's a different role. In we're in a male character and a female character. We don't get a lot, uh, you know, like Wolfgang plays that role that, you know, the, the bad guy, the tough guy that we, you know, women want to go in and find his good heart and, and make him a good guy, you know, because you see it underneath and fix him up. But Son is just this kick-ass, like, I, here I am, I'm just doing my thing. Nobody needs to fix me, but... It's a representation that that she's got that. She didn't lose it into the environment or into the fighting. She kept that heart of the baby bird in equality to her fighting side. And it's an honoring of that balance within her as the feminine who can balance those two sides, which is huge. Well put. I agree. I mean, she's had her life threatened many times in prison. 
right. so far, and she's had to kill a lot of people. Right. Like, she, she just killed a shitload of right. people to get to she save did. her life, right? Right. And she helps other people kill a lot of people. Like, she's awesome at that, and yet she still has a beautiful heart. Right. And she hasn't lost that so far, and don't lose it, right? Because then they win, I think, in a way. You might kill the next person, but it, it, they haven't gotten to the baby bird heart inside of her, and so she's still winning, right? She might yeah. kill a bunch of people, but... If in the process she lost that in herself, she wouldn't be winning anymore. She can be both the spirit of Jean-Claude and <laughs> have the heart of a baby bird. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and we're going to call that balance. Yeah. <laughs> Harmonic I, union that between the male I thought you were going to say some like big word. And when you said balance, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's that simple. Yep, yep. We'll call it that. <laughs> I would call it the harmonic union between the Elf and the Omega, but we can go with balance. <laughs> you know, there are many paths to the same place. There, there are. I, I, I guess I have to, to bring this up. Like, there's a difference between harmony and balance, and it's a very subtle thing. Like, balance is a 50-50 thing. Harmony is not a 50-50 thing. Harmony is working harmoniously together with the attributes that you have. Right. To make a whole. So I just thought I would like, you know, sprinkle that in there because they, they are different. <laughs> right. Which is I like why I went up. with harmony. Right. <laughs> yep. Well, because sometimes I think of balance as stagnant. Like, right. You think when a scale is balanced, they're not moving. Right. Like you said, they're equal. But this is a it is a movement yeah. between the two. Yeah. Yeah. That. Well, <laughs> considering the title of this episode, I think that was a. Uh, perfect uh difference to point out yes yeah that's true we're good like that (laughs) all right so let's move on to the next clip with kavia so the water he saved the baby on the camera he saved the baby on the camera so now he's another hero again and and he gets on tv he gets on tv now just i i noticed I'm pretty sure it was Jella in the background there. And he was so excited. And he's looking over this guy's shoulder doing the interview. And he's got his collar up on his jacket. I just wanted to say I noticed that really quick. It flashed by so fast. I'm like, that's Jella. He just was like not paying attention and so excited. Like he just couldn't put his collar down. Anyway. (laughs) Here goes. Few of us are willing to risk it, just as you did last week. One of our reporters was in Yumatatu and captured this extraordinary event. Can we roll the tape? This very brave young man diffused an angry incident that threatened to get much worse. Kibera has been a deprived neighborhood for forever. Why has this anger reached fever pitch now? Water. Think what we all need water for. We cannot live without water. What do you pay for a liter of water that is piped to your home, Ms. Kobe? Hmm? We both know that it is much less than what people in Kibera pay. Kibera has been represented at the National Assembly by Mr. Mandiba for the last three terms. Do you think the problem is a political one? Look. Who am I to answer such a question? I drive a bus. If I didn't take people where they hired me to take them, I wouldn't expect them to get back on my bus. 
We expect leaders to take us where we want to go. The problem, it seems to me, begins when they don't. When things do not improve, and yet these leaders keep expecting us to get on their bus. I think this is when leaders become something else. What? Politicians. Very profound. I love that little tiny story about a bus driver. Best analogy ever. Pretty close. If there was one thing in Sense8, which there's like a billion, but if there was one, (laughs) this would be on my top 10 for people. If people got anything out of Sense8, this would be the thing to understand that. I think it's, uh, yeah. I mean, we just have to go back. It's so, it simplifies it so much. And the world needs that Very right now. Very profound. Yeah. And story. so many of us live in voting countries. Right. There's, mm-hmm. I know there's some that don't, but most of us vote. And you're voting for leaders or politicians. And like there's a difference between harmony and balance, there's a difference between those as well. And he describes it so beautifully. Right. <laughs> if only there was a bus driver I could vote for. Right. <laughs> I actually think Wait there might be one. Back. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think, no, I seriously, I, one of the late night, I think it was one of the late night comedians list, or someone listed recently some of the, for the midterms, the voting that's going to happen now here in the United States. Um, and they listed, I, I know there's like a cafeteria lady. They listed some of the people that are um, throughout our country, which is, you know, big. But I think there was a bus driver. I got to look that up. But I'm like, because let, he listed the people that were running this year, you know, the unusual, the real people that are going for leadership that are not lifetime politicians. I was listening to that the other day and I'm like, yes, I mean, look, look, I would vote for a bus driver. <laughs> If the bus driver could get you where you needed to go. (laughs) We do expect leaders to take us where we want to go. We really, really do. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's why people vote. (laughs) And, you know, finding and supporting ones that take you where you want to go is not always easy. You got to put a little work into it. You got to research who these people are and pay attention and care enough to do so, to take the time. Yeah. And I think that is something, I mean, it, it's profound in the fact because, and I actually think this happens in a lot of careers where you move, you enter it for a certain reason. And I think, you know, a lot of, leaders that turn into politicians did enter for the desire for leadership. And then there's this turning point where you're working so hard to keep your job and your image that you, you lose sight of what your job is and the job becomes keeping the job. There was a friend of mine who was working for Kodak and Kodak was closing. That's the um, photography company. And as things were changing, I just remember this 10-year period 
where he was moving between different positions and navigating. And his, I, I remember his job became trying to keep his job when everybody was getting laid off and he made it. But I remember like years ago thinking, man, I know he was still doing a job, but it was like his job was trying to keep his job. And I think we can relate that. Like sometimes that's what we are doing. We start for a reason and it's not just politicians. We like to put them in a separate category and even scapegoat them sometimes because of the role they play and we want them to take us where we want to go. But it it's not that uncommon for humans to move to survival mode even in the process of Yeah, I think most of us are start out well-intended in whatever we're going to do. Like our intentions are great and we don't always meet those intentions because of life and how things work. Circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there's so much more to this. There's that piece, but he he starts with the water, which we talked about a little bit before, but it's just in this one, he, he points out to how um, expensive it is to be poor. Mm. And the 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 system is designed not i mean i think about it in my own country but it, it's happening in multiple countries around the world where the dichotomy between the rich and the poor and i i say that we still have a, a royalty and surf mentality like we like to think that we're past that but in reality um when you are poor it costs a lot of money you know even if you go to buy gas. If I go into a richer neighborhood, the gas is going to be cheaper than if I go into an inner city neighborhood, which seems insane, right? Because you know that the richer neighborhood has more money and yet they get things cheaper. And that's just a tiny reflection of the reality of that and how the systems around the world perhaps are designed to keep the poor poorer and the rich richer. And that's like one line in there, but it's true. The easiest way to control a human being is to keep them starving. Mm -hmm. It's like the art of war. Yeah. Yeah. I really think that the, the easiest way to control somebody really is to keep them in survival mode. And you do that by keep them starving. Right. And you kind of get in this mentality that you just have to put food on the table and do whatever that takes. And when you're putting food on the table and you're working long hours and you're doing a lot of extra things, you have no time and you have no energy to look into what politicians are doing, to look in to find out what bills are actually being passed, to educate yourself, to do these things. So when you're starving, when you're in survival mode, there, it's really easy to control somebody because the first thing they need is a, is a meal and they're going to yep. do what it takes to get a meal. So that's just my, um, my or little, water, right? Or water, whatever that is, you know, we, yeah. we have basic needs, mm-hmm. needs that have to be met for our physical survival. And when you're, when you're just too busy doing that, you cannot take care of the rest of the things and you get taken advantage of, um, by that distraction. And then there's other distractions, but we won't go there. We'll, we'll just stick with water. <laughs> no, that it makes me bring up Maslow again, because you can't even consider those other things until you get your basic needs met. And when your basic needs aren't even getting met, you have to fight just to get a liter of water 
Mm -hmm. Just like you said, you don't even have the time, let alone the capacity to, you know, to think about other things in life. Yep. And you don't have the voice. And I think that that brings us back to the title of the episode, Polyphemy, because somewhere they started to come together. Like we come into the scene and all those voices are coming into harmony. You know, they're working together to make an impact. But in isolation, we don't, right? One person doesn't think they can make a difference, but something tipped there. It just went too far and it brought people together. And the impact of the masses coming together to support each other. Because part of what you two are talking about is it, it, it actually puts people against each other, right? Because if you're in survival mode, you're fighting against your neighbor if you need to. You know, whatever you need to do to get your baby fed, right? And you forget that there's another baby. And maybe that's why it was so impactful for him to pick up the baby and for them to look into his eyes. It's like, what are we doing? What have we become? This isn't who we are. Because even the guy selling the water, he's probably not that much above them. He's making it work for his family, too, right? right he's just getting his paycheck. Right, exactly. Just like everybody he's just else. trying to feed his family. But he and, forgot his humanity along the way. Yeah. So, oh, man, these episodes are just so profound. <laughs> Maybe he was in the mode that he could only think about keeping his job. Exactly. 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 And that's what happens, right? Like, if you don't do your job, whatever that may be, like then you get the ax and right. now you can't feed your family. So that keeps human beings in jobs they probably wouldn't do if they had food on the table otherwise. And they're right. fighting against him, right? Because he's the face. He's, you know, in the spectrum of financial wealth in, in that system, probably. Like, he's at the bottom, just a little bit above them. He's got the job. He's got the control of the water right there. But he's being controlled but they're lashing out at him because he's the one right there when really the system is being controlled behind the screen. It is. This reminds me. So um, I don't have the dates in front of me or anything this, but when we start united, we stand divided, we fall. So when we come together as human beings and we work together, we can accomplish so much. It's when we are divided by ideas and putting in money and all of these things that just divide us. I call them puppet strings. When we're divided, we can't really come together and work, mm -hmm. right? And what, as long as the status quo is comfortable, we don't see a lot of change. When the status quo becomes uncomfortable and they go, oh, well, there's more of us than there are of these one percenters. The one percenters have problems. That's exactly what we don't want to have seen in the financial system all over the globe. It's not just America. All of our finances are linked together. But China, there was, a, there was an issue that, that came up in China like this. There's a lot of Chinamen and women, and there is way more of them than there is the military or the, um, the, the politicians. And they all got together and decided they want to raise. And guess what? They got it. <laughs> because there's, they came together and they protested in a way. And in order to calm that mob down that was going to burn down the house, you know, they, they decided to, to do something about that. But now they're in a state of mediocrity again on a whole, and they're not all inflamed and ready to go. Mm -hmm. Right? So, but yeah, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of this stuff, but... <laughs> oh, goodness. Here we go. Yep. 
No, it's a good point, though. India is in a similar position. They have so many people, so many people, but so many of those people are in poverty. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take, you know, an uprising like that. Things are starting to change. There are laws that have been passed recently and things that are looking more positive, but it takes it takes those masses to get together and do yep. something to make a, a positive change. Yep. One of these days we're going to go, oh, wow, this really works. We should do this again. <laughs> How about <laughs> yeah, next week? Right? Let's keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, let's keep doing this until we create the world we all say we want because we can do it together. Wow, that's fascinating. But that hasn't happened yet. Hopefully it'll happen in my lifetime. Like People are like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can do a lot when we, when we take down those walls. That are invisible in our minds. Instead all of those puppet putting strings. up walls, exactly. Like some want to do exactly. <laughs> Not to be too overly political. <laughs> oh, we've already gone down there. <laughs> I don't think we're for walls. I don't think sensates can be for walls, and although they wouldn't be threatened by them either, it's like a wall that's going to contain me. <laughs> Take your silly little wall. <laughs> So yes, that was one wh- one line out of the entire show that I, if I could have anybody understand out of Sense Eight, that's probably one of my top ten. Yeah, I mean, there's so much more for sure, but that's a, it's a very it's so simplistic, you know. If I get on my bus, <laughs> and that's the beauty. That's it's so profound, mm-hmm. and it's just coming from a simple bus driver, and right. that's what makes it even more profound and impactful. So it's good stuff. <laughs> it is so. I think it's at the very end, we end with Will having a dream. He and Riley are in bed, and he seems to be dreaming. And he's witnessing Jonas in the past um, and moving through some of that. And Nomi's in there as well. And Nomi says to him, are we dreaming together and then, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, no, they're memories of the past. And it's such a small line, a, a conversation, but, you know, we like to talk about what it really means to be a sensei. And it's huge because it's opening up the door for us to think about the consciousness that is beyond our physical reality. What happens when we move into consciousness in those higher realms? What happens when we start dreaming together? And when I mentioned it to you, Heaven, you were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Dreaming together? I can't even figure out lucid dreaming, let alone (laughs) co-dreaming. It's pretty awesome, by the way. I was going to say, it's a little overrated. Your clients can be at you all 24-7. I'm just kidding. I love to do a lot of my work in dreaming because it makes it easier for me to get everything done. But yeah, that's actually a really common... um, So when someone signs up to work with me, I'm like, you get me 24-7 in the higher realms. And people will report back all the time having dreamt with me or worked something out with me. Sometimes I remember it. Sometimes I remember it in a little bit different than they do. But yeah, it is a thing. And when you start being around people that are aware of it and start talking about it, you realize how much of a thing it is. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. You can have whole relationships in your dreams. 
And that's the cool thing about dreams. It's kind of like a shortcut in consciousness because you can play out all these concepts in your dream state because your mind doesn't know the difference of what's real in the physical and what's real in the dreams. And this is why if you're dreaming and you fall and you shake yourself out of bed because you're falling. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I know a lot of people have. It's because your brain doesn't know the difference. It really thinks it's your body's in trouble. And so you can actually have the experience of concepts and relationships and things within your dreams. It's kind of a shortcut, and you don't have to have that happen in your real life. So it's really cool when we start talking about lucid dreaming and all these fun concepts. But what I think is super cool in this particular thing, and they keep getting onto this, and I don't know if they were going to get into this later in the Sensate story, but I almost feel like they're passing on memories almost through like this, um, for lack of a better word, like a spiritual DNA, because they keep revisiting other people's memories. Mm -hmm. But they're getting this memory from being part of the cluster. So there's almost like this DNA within the cluster where you can have it, like they're experiencing this stuff too. They're not just, because it's in their dream, and, and we saw an episode where Will goes back and he's actually part of the experience of the memory itself. He's experiencing the memory, which isn't quite a dream. But anyway, so I think it's really cool that they're, they're talking about this, like just kind of introducing this concept. If you have this cluster, we might be able to learn from each other's past memories and exp- because we can experience them. Yeah, I... I- That just made me think of a completely different show, but it's just how things relate that I like the idea of if we actually could keep that collective memory, which is kind of like history Uh right now, except for history can be written by whoever kind of a thing. If we actually had that collective memory, could we truly learn from our past mistakes and evolve into better people each generation? Because we have that passive memory. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think that we can and we do, but it is passive in that sense, but it can become more conscious with our intention. And this isn't um, a new concept, like Jungian theory, which is um, not new, <laughs> kind of back in the Freud days, but you know that talks about the collective consciousness or the collective conscience. And the idea is that we do pool our memories. And I think you can see that in why so many people have past life memories of being someone famous, right? Because it's an archetype that we can access that memory when it, by, when it's resonating at a frequency that matches ours. And so we do access those memories and I think we do it more normally than we realize. And it's, it's about bringing it to our um, conscious awareness and talking about it that allows it to happen. Like I said, sometimes people will message me and they'll tell me the conversation they had or what we worked out in the dream the night before. And then I remember, oh, yeah, like I didn't quite remember it exactly. Or I don't know. Ex- so like this just happened a couple of days ago. Someone who I had coached and then we had finished our program and, you know, I hadn't had contact with her. And she had been looking to adopt. And during the night, I woke up. I thought about her and the baby, and I thought to myself, I'm going to reach out to her in the morning 
And then I went back to sleep. And when I woke up the next morning, I got a text that a baby had been born during the night and that they were going to see the baby and they now are the parents of that baby. So like when you start to think and and talk to people about things, you realize how often we actually do this. Yeah, it helps bring it to cognition. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like to... I like the idea of exploring more of that because I'm not around that many people. So I need to seek out these kind of people in order to saturate my life with these concepts. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it is exactly because we have to put our attention on it or it just there's just you're going to get filled up with day to day stuff if you don't think about it or practice that, you know, and validate that. So I've had friends that we practiced, you know, just communicating more telepathically than physically consciously. I raised my kids to think like that. And especially my son is so telepathic. And so it's it's moving between dreams and telepathy and all of that, that it's it's really normal for him to, and he's a scientist, like he's hanging around people that don't talk like this, but it helps in the science, you know, and, and the exploration because scientists have to move beyond, they have to tap into those extra senses in order to bring in new information, but it's so normal to him. And like one time I went out and it was, he, his car broke down hours away. I had to drive out there and I got there and they offered me ratatouille that they had made the day before. I knew nothing. Like, I didn't even know he was going out of town, right? He's off at college. But he starts talking about how he made it like I make um, my homemade tomato soup right from tomatoes, that they blended it up in a similar way. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I suddenly yesterday was thinking, I got to make homemade tomato soup. So while he's in another, you know, city make, thinking about that, I'm over here getting it. And, that, and so I know I'm moving away from dreams. But it those, was delicious soup. <laughs> those just move. And when you validate, right? Because he had his car not broken down, I never would have known that he was thinking about that soup that day, right? Those things happen so many more times. We only get a glimpse of them when the conversations present themselves. So I'm pretty sure we're going to need to have a link to that soup recipe. <laughs> I don't have recipes. <laughs> it's crazy. That's okay. Your recipe can be a stream of consciousness. There yes. we go. I will, I will link I it to my... I will link <laughs> I look in the spice cabinet. I see what looks good. Throw it in there. I hear. How about this? Anybody who wants my soup recipe should meet me in dreams. <laughs> oh, okay. Look, lady. I told you I had trouble lucid dreaming, and now you're asking a lot. It's really I mean, good tomato practice, soup. It's worth it. But... <laughs> I guess I have a lot of practice ahead of me. <laughs> I cook with now that we're on cooking. I do so that's kind of tapping into people's memories because I cook with dead people. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) You cook with dead people. Can you elaborate, please? (laughs) Well, when I cook some of our traditional German recipes, my aunt or my grandmother always show up and, and they give because those recipes don't have the details in it. Like they're just like three lines, right? You got to figure out the rest. 
And they show up. And one time I wanted to make, it wasn't tomato soup, but it was tomato sauce. No Italian in my side of the family. And so I... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I know. <laughs> I had never... <laughs> I had never seen anyone make sauce from scratch with mm. fresh tomatoes. So I wanted to make it. So this dead person, <laughs> like, because this woman that I knew, I helped her family as she was crossing over with cancer and she, they owned restaurants and she was Italian and, and she showed up and she gave me her secret recipe. And I told her family some of the secret things that she, like bizarre things she told me to put into it. And they're like, yep, that was her recipe. So like that, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's secret. She secret? told me it's secret. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, so that's like a memory, right? Because she's not here. She's not cooking, clearly, wherever her consciousness is. But through me, we shared a memory of the past where she was cooking. So I'm glad you cleared that up because some people could have thought we were eating dead people. Yeah, no. <laughs> Whoa. I, I don't even people. know who would have went there, Zach. I think it says way more about you than our listeners that you went there. Well... <laughs> It, Wait, did you go somehow, there too, Heaven? <laughs> somehow that whole story made me think of another line from this episode when um, Wolfgang and Leela are sitting in her car and they're talking about her working for BPO and she says something to the effect of if you want something bad enough, you do what it takes to get it. Right. It's not, that's not exactly it. Um mm-hmm. What do you want and how far are you willing to go to get it? Thank you, Zach. You're <laughs> so I need to really dig deep to see how badly I want this tomato soup recipe. Yeah, but here's the thing. You want to dream with someone else more than you want the soup recipe. The soup recipe is just a catalyst. You want it Bonus. a lot. Yeah, you want it a lot. <laughs> Well, maybe after this podcast, I'll have to pick your brain on some ways to start getting figuring out how to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's really just letting it into your, I mean, actually letting it into your consciousness and to your belief system that it's normal and easy helps. Yeah. You got to believe it's possible. That's, That's where you start. Step, step one. Step, step one. one. Believe. Yep. Believe. believe. <laughs> or at least be open to believing. That's step Zero. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's got to be a twinkle of a possibility. If it's not a twinkle of a possibility, then forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> There's the Italian. <laughs> Clearly not Italian. <laughs> I'm your Italian for this podcast. Actually. Our token Italian. Thank you, Evan. <laughs> You haven't talked about any sauce recipes, though. <laughs> it's legitimately one of the only things I make well is nice. spaghetti sauce. What is your secret ingredient? I, you know, I don't actually even have a secret um, secret ingredient. I do think adding red wine oh, is a huge kicker. That's a good But idea. there are so many different variants of how to make sauce. My family is Sicilian, so... I make sauce like Manana makes sauce. Right. My husband makes a completely different sauce. He puts carrots in it. What? Which <laughs> evidently a lot of Italians do this. 
I had no clue my family's never done it once. So I had a very minor argument with him one day because he's the chef in our family. He was a chef for a couple years, so he does know his stuff and he cooks really amazing food. And he tried to tell me that Italian sauce had to have carrots in it. And I said, babe, I love you to pieces, but this is the one thing you're not allowed to argue with me with. <laughs> this is how Nana makes it. And there's nothing you could ever say in the whole wide world to tell me it's wrong. But I love you. This probably ended up like this. One year, there was a huge blight on the tomatoes, so they couldn't get a whole lot. So they're like, well, what's the next best thing? Well, we have lots of carrots. Right. So let's put, let's put carrots in the sauce. Right. So. I mean, it is good. It cuts the acidity of the tomatoes. So it really does bring a nice balance to the dish. Wow. That's cool. I did not know that. Like that callback? <laughs> I'm going for the harmony, though, not the balance. Life is a spectrum. I want a Sheila. symphony we need in my sauce. And harmony. <laughs> There's no black and white in our sauce. <laughs> awesome. All right, folks. There you have it. Heather, thank, thank you very much for joining us. It was a pleasure. We had a great time with you today. Yes, thank Thanks you. So it was Thanks wonderful. Thanks so for having me. I'm so honored to be a part of this pod. You guys do such a great thing for us senses, and it's really been super cool for me to be a part of it with you. I really appreciate the experience. It's uh, our pleasure. Yes. And thank you for everything you do for Sense8 and for all of your creations. And remember, everyone, P-O-L-Y is the secret code to win <laughs> a free new pin. And we will have your Etsy link on the blog as well. So anyone who wants to order lots of merch, head on <laughs> over there. <laughs> Thank you for the shout out. <laughs> oh, and catch you on Nerds of the Hub. Oh, yeah. For um, other fun fandom podcasts, you can find us at Nerds of the Hub. We like to interview folks that are perhaps a little less well known and chat with them about their craft. All right, Heaven, thank you very much for being a co-host with us here on the Live Sensei podcast. It was fun going over this episode with you. And I got to give a big shout out to Miss Sarah Applegate, the editor of the Live Sense 8 podcast. And thank you very much for spending your time with us here today and listening in. And thank you for all the support you give us on social media and over on patreon.com forward slash live sense 8. We're always open to comments, suggestions, and such. You can hit us up on the Twitter at live underscore sense eight. And until next time, lucid dream. Bye.